0: Welcome to Accelerating Government with act IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to another episode of Accelerating Government. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has served a unique position in the federal marketplace as a nonprofit whose purpose is to bring together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. On the first half of today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Maria Rote, the U.S. government's deputy chief information officer and former president of the American Council for Technology. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thanks, Dave. Great to have you back on the show. And uh, since the last time you were our guest, the administration has released a new president's management agenda. The new PMA will clearly be a galvanizing force for federal agencies. And so its impact will be felt, i across the entire federal technology market. So let's get started. The PMA right. certainly has a number of priorities that will be top of mind for the federal technology community. Why don't you share with us a little about the overarching goals of the PMA?
1: Yeah, thanks, Dave, and uh, happy to be here. There's been a lot of work with this administration. You know, when they came in, you know, you've seen the executive orders and a lot going on. And this president's management agenda, of course, is the blueprint for our government to deliver for Americans, for the government that they really deserve. And this was really the focus of the PMA. And the PMA is really structured as a vision, right? To bring around, there were three really critical priorities that were looked at for just bold transformation that are outlined in the PMA. So the very first one is strengthening and empowering the federal workforce. We talk about this all the time, but there's been so much activity already, there's gonna be more to follow on that. The second piece of that is delivering excellent, equitable, and secure federal services and customer experience, which I think we're going to talk about at some point. And then third, really leveraging how we manage the business of government, right? Those goods, those services we buy, and the financial resources and the assistance we provide and oversee, all the good work that the government does to really help build our country back better. But the PMA is simple, but it's really powerful, and that three-part approach really builds on the lessons learned across the administrations, continuing to build up and really strengthening our capacity to deliver for all the people in this country. I know
0: that customer experience has been a top priority for you and for the entire federal CIO team. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the customer experience priorities in the PMA and what the federal CIO team will be prioritizing on as next steps?
1: Yeah, thanks, Dave. There's a lot of energy around customer experience. Claire Martorana, our federal CIO, this is really front and center for her. And this is really ongoing improvements how the government operates and performs. Right when you look across the entire federal government, there's a lot of work that's been launched by each of the prior administrations in a wide range of capabilities, systems, and you know. And this includes all the ongoing efforts around cybersecurity, IT, data management, data science, all that work. But this work um, is really going to continue. And this second PMA priority is about delivering excellence, equitable, secure federal services. And really this this interaction we have between the government and the public, this is an opportunity to deliver value and competency. The Americans expect this. Every time you come to um, a government site, the public doesn't care which agency it is. They know they have to do a thing with the government. And these, these interactions are overwhelmingly digital, even when you go into uh, a brick and mortar. So this is really where the vision outlines how the government will improve. So this is the service design, the digital products, the customer experience management of those high impact service providers across the federal government and really reduce the customer burden, address any of those inequities and really streamline those processes. So that's one of the areas that the PMA around customer experience, as well as secondly, design, build and manage government service delivery for what are those key life experiences that cut across all federal agencies. This could be in the form of disaster assistance or loans or something like that. You know, what are those life experiences that every American has where they have to interact with the government? It could be something as simple as an address change. How many agencies do you have to reach out to, not just your state and local, but federal wide, if you change your address? And then the third item is really identifying and prioritizing You know, the development of federal shared products, right, those services, the standards to make sure that that it's simple, it's seamless and secure experiences across all of those providers. So looking across those three areas, that's really the big focus around the customer experience. And there's a lot of energy around this, not just with the federal CIO, but across all of the agencies and the leadership across the board.
0: And your team's already been delivering on that on that goal because you've already released a, a very good executive order on it too. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Well, you know, as they say, the the two biggest problems with large system implementations in government are when it takes too long or when it becomes too detached from the customer. And so, it's excellent work that you're all doing in that space. Another key topic of the PMA is a digital transformation, and so can you tell us a little bit about what we're doing. What are our next steps about making the government more digital?
1: You know, Dave, this is this is where I get I get excited. I think because there has been so much going on in the federal space. So this is my opportunity to kind of uh, put my hat on and be the cheerleader for all the work uh, going on across the federal government, um, and and give credit to to the agencies where they're really leaning in. And this is really taken advantage of cloud and the cloud capabilities, whether it's AI, you know, leaning in on using those cloud resources to really take those data sets and bring it to the next level and do something with it for decision making or analysis or all the work that's going on, whether it's engineering and research and science, all the scientific applications. Um, but the CDO Council is really leaning in on a lot of this work. So I talked a little bit about data. And, and agencies are really making a lot of progress and making data available in key areas, right? Whether it's climate, energy, agriculture, maritime, you know, oceanographic, um, and and the open data effort will continue to mature. You see some of that posted out online, some of the data, and you're gonna see more and more of that. But on the digital transformation front, this really covers so many fronts, not just data, but also moving to the cloud and tying that into the customer experience. And when we talk about data, the federal data science training program, you know, we had 61 participants, we graduated earlier, actually a year ago, and the, and the big piece of that is agencies have taken that playbook and they're implementing that on their own and really using the data and the data science to really build out those AI capabilities. I was uh, I've been doing a lot of reading um, over the last week, and it's just phenomenal how much activity is going on across the federal government using the data. And really using it and applying those algorithms across the board. And when you think about the training and the data science training program, um, in Department of Air Force, for example, you know new cadets can major or minor in data science. Right? They go into all kinds of mission areas, regardless of the technology and the space. But the Air Force is really leaning in on creating that that data talent. And so there's, you know. Uh, when you talk about digital transformation, it's just not technology, the cloud, and, you know, shutting down data centers, but it's also leaning in on things like data and natural language processing, AI, and all of those capabilities. And this is where we're really starting to see some some really big strides across the federal government. And some of this you're just not hearing about. Um, one example on digital, there was a pilot that was done over at NASA recently, and they did a pilot around taking the data that's needed to inspect an astronaut and what they wear when they go in space. So think about the glove that they wear, right? And the inspection steps and all the data that's collected to inspect it. That takes 130 hours of time for people to go through that data and analyze it. And they've used the power of the cloud and the technology to pull that data in using AI and all the algorithms around it. And they've taken that down to seconds. And this is really where the federal government is leaning in. And and again, seeing these examples over and over again across the federal government, it's pretty exciting.
0: It really is. There are so many good things going on. And, and by hearing about the success stories, it builds confidence for others to take the plunge, too. We're going to take a short break now. We're talking with Maria Roth, the federal deputy CIO, about the president's management agenda. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on federal news network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC, I'm Dave Wenergren, and today we're talking with Maria Rhoad, the federal government's deputy chief information officer. Maria's shared services remains an important area too, and highlighted in the PMA, what's some of the next steps for shared services work.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Um, you know, there's a lot going on already in the shared services space, whether it's, you know, the grants um, working across the federal government, and this remains a, a priority, right. Uh, as part of the PMA we're making sure we're enabling the capabilities of shared services. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're identifying and prioritizing the the development of federal shared products, services, standards um, in, you know, People are very familiar with what's going on with the grant space, what's going on with the financial and the shared services around all of that. Um, And but there's there's you know, we all know that there's so many offices in the government. They all provide the same type of services. And this is really where leveraging and consolidating and taking advantage of modern capabilities, which really saves a lot of taxpayer money and really makes the delivery of services more efficient. When you look at agencies that are coming back to the grants again, you know, a lot of agencies were doing grants on their own and then they started using HHS's shared services and then you saw more agencies. And so this allows agencies to really focus on the mission that they are really good at and and let somebody else run the shared services that's also very good at those shared services. So when you think about financial shared services, this is all about the Treasury Department, right? And establishing treasury as that shared service provider for the federal government because not every agency is a financial expert and should they be running by those financial system so there's a lot of opportunity in the uh, shared services place and this includes you know some of the services that gsa offers as well but this is again allowing the agencies giving them the opportunity to better focus on their mission so that they can you know deliver those high value services to the american public and again shared services is also the opportunity to make sure that we're using the latest and greatest in technology you know those business processes and also elevating opportunities for the workforce to learn and keep their skills current as they're focused on whether it's a shared service or those mission opportunities and those mission areas of focus for the agencies so again shared services is certainly uh, front and center and this is really leading to you know better use of taxpayer dollars and the ability to better deliver services amen to that
0: you know they are fundamental truths right fortune 100 companies don't build their own payroll systems they get them from like an expert provider in the market and some organizations just should not be in the business of IT operations. Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Focus There's- on your mission priorities. I mean, you know, yeah, it's like put, if you have a finite workforce, you know, put them to put them to work on the mission of the organization. I think that's that's great advice. I'm delighted to hear so much attention still being paid to that important topic. I'm also delighted that acquisition innovation remains a top priority in the new PMA. And so what would you like to see agencies focus on in the area of lasting improvements in the federal acquisition system or any other thoughts you have about improvements that you've already seen?
1: Yeah, you know, across the federal government, there's some really good pockets of acquisition acquisition innovation, right? The FAR really does have a lot of flexibility in it. And, you know, for the agencies across the federal government, I'm going to pick on maybe Harrison Smith over at the IRS. And he's really leaned in on how they're using small procurements to really do some innovative things. Some of those projects are not high-profile projects. It's not the Big Bang approach. It's not boiling the ocean. But it's less visible projects. And they're affecting change and really driving modernization, right? It's not the big, sexy kind of stuff. But they're really uh, leaning in on acquisition, doing much smaller procurements to do things. And when I say much smaller, we're talking $50,000, much smaller capability. So a shout out to Harrison and the team over there, for example, for some of the work they're doing. And then, of course, Leslie Field, um, you know, near and dear to our heart, the periodic table of acquisition innovation, the work that they've really done around that and, and really taking acquisition innovation to the next level but again, with acquisition innovation, you also have to keep thinking about equity in federal procurement, right? So even as you consolidate contracts, you're thinking about innovation. You have to make sure that you're you've got equity in procurement, whether it's you know the small businesses, diversity, all of those things, and really bringing in those innovative companies. Um, to really uh, drive that technology change that we talked about earlier, that digital transformation. So acquisition innovation, you're seeing really good pockets of it across the federal government, uh, where, where folks like Harrison and Leslie are really leaning in on being creative in their acquisitions to try things, showing success, being agile in those contract awards and and continuing to deploy and continuing that transformation.
0: Yeah, you know there, there's the far is a really big document and, there, and we don't use it all, right? There's a lot of flexibilities built in. If you like you said, people are just willing to take a chance, okay. do some experimentation, try like a more flexible approach that matters for what you're trying to deliver. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you, Dave. As a as a CIO, I was always pushing my acquisition folks to be creative. Well, why can't we do that? Can we do something smaller? Can we just, you know, you know, can I leverage, you know, just something as simple as leveraging um, the GSA? Uh, some of their BPAs and things like that. So I don't have to go out and do this big bang approach on procurement and big RFPs and things like that. You know, little things like that and not just, you know, and leaning in on some of those smaller $50,000 contracts and things like that really made a big difference for me as a CIO also.
0: Yeah, that, that cabal of the chief financial officer, the chief acquisition officer, and the CIO is just like important recipe for success yeah no kidding many times on the show the vast majority of that 90 plus billion dollar federal IT budget goes to the private sector so
1: yep that's for sure
0: so I have to say you know you were recently in the headlines too Maria because there was an announcement in the news just the other day that you'll be retiring from federal service in a couple of months after what I will describe as an extremely distinguished 40 plus year career must have started as a small baby I think so um so you know we have a couple minutes left before we end this segment, and I just wonder you know if you have some parting advice on leading change leadership mentoring the next generation you know what what, what would you like to leave with our audience of industry and government
1: executives um, <laughs> thanks for that question dave I, uh, I I probably can sum it up um I've had a tagline in my email for a very long time for many years and um and, and really, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, share it here. It says, I get up every morning determined to both change the world and one hell of a good time. And sometimes that makes planning my day difficult. And that's kind of how I, I think I've approached, um, a lot of things I, I do. Cause I get up in the morning and I say, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to change? What can I do? And what can I do differently? And I think, um, you know, having a good time along the way is, is so important. And that quotes from E.B. White, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I think, I, I, I like to think that I've carried that with me, right? Get up in the morning, wanting to make some change, wanting to make a difference, but having a good time along the way. And I've always tried to, I've always tried to do that, especially with my teams, whether it's, you know, celebrating those small successes, buying a great big honking cake and you know, whether we were shutting down a data center or moving something to the cloud or doing a thing and having fun with the cake and what was written on it. And, and, and even if it's some of those little things, just having fun with it and celebrating the small successes. And I think, I think that goes a long way to, you know, really driving change and transformation that you need to celebrate even those little successes
0: along the way. Those are powerful words. Complex change is hard and takes time. And if, if you can't keep a positive attitude about it, you get like beaten down by like, you know, the perturbations of change. And, uh, you know, as they say, you, you can't choose everything, but you can choose your attitude. And so I, a- I, for one, having had the joy of working with you, I'm delighted that that's your bumper sticker because you know <laughs> there is big change ahead of us. And it will only happen if we can have a positive constructive attitude about getting it done. Uh, Maria talked about the acquisition innovation periodic table. You can learn more about that from the OFPT website. And you can also learn more about it from ACT-IAC if you go to www.actiac.org. Maria, yeah.
1: And I think, Dave, one more thing that I would add, and this is the the other bumper sticker. Um, I do not intend to tiptoe through life, only to arrive safely at death. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is a great place to
0: leave it for today. Maria, thank you so much for being on the show today. And even more importantly, thank you for your extraordinary service to the nation. I'm Dave Wennergren, and we'll be back in a moment to discuss innovation in the market with Tim Smith on Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on the second half of today's show, I'm joined by Tim Smith, president of OnPoint Consulting and a longtime innovation leader in the federal market. Welcome to the show, Tim.
2: Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here.
0: Great to have you on today. Throughout your distinguished career, you've been a champion for innovation, and we have benefited greatly from your leadership on both the Industry Advisory Council's Executive Committee and ACT-IX Institute for Innovation. Innovation is clearly a big buzzword in government today and a surprisingly complex topic for large, higher organizations like federal agencies. You've been in this market for quite a while. What are some of the shifts you're seeing in government innovation that you're excited about?
2: You know, I'll give a start off with a few other buzzwords. You know, I always think about things when I'm looking, you know, when I'm looking for opportunities with the quote, uh, necessity is the mother of innovation. And, and I think right now necessity has got to be the mother of innovation. And the biggest area I think we, we've got to continue to be innovative in is is cybersecurity. It's it's obviously a challenge. You know, it's an opportunity for both government and industry to come forward and address that challenge. You know, but as I was reading the other night, going through just a ana- different analysis of what happened in 2021, you know, the the, the overall no brainer is that there was a significant increase in attacks. You know, I've heard uh, you know people say 30 percent, 60 percent, up to 100 percent. But you know, I can tell you for the work we're doing for the government, there's obviously an, an increase in attacks. And you know, the the phrase I keep saying is we've got to figure out a way to out innovate the hackers. The hackers, the, the you know, our, our enemies are are being innovative in terms of, you know, how they're attacking us. And, you know, where we sit today, you know, as, as you know, our digital world, even pre-COVID, has really accelerated, you know, the, the trend where many of our digital assets, as well as our people, are located outside of the typical um, enterprise infrastructure. And to that, our cybersecurity teams, the tools, the technologies they've used, have, have had to become more flexible, agile, scalable. Um, innovative obviously, you know, in order to continue to allow these uh, organization from a security posture to move forward. So there is a lot on the technology side that I'm seeing, you know, you could say things, you know, cyber security mesh, identity first security, um, our SIMS, the systems information and event management systems that we utilize uh, are obviously advancing technology uh, are moving forward. But, you know, Innovation does not just have to be about the technology, it's 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 a little bit about the uh, th- three-legged stool, you know, uh, people, processes, and technology. And, you know, what do we need to keep on doing to move cyber forward in this case? And I've even seen it on Zero Trust. Um, while it is a, a I, I fear turning into a buzzword, it's an area where we can also be very innovative because, you know, Zero Trust is, is, is not a framework, it's an approach. know and it's going to be an ever-changing approach but we need our people work our technologists working with everybody from the cio's office to the chief acquisition office um, figuring out how we innovate these tools and these processes to make ourselves more secure
0: i like that cybersecurity. we have to out innovate the hackers i think that's great because like you said you know the old ways just won't work right i mean the the power of zero trust power moving from tick to tick 3.0 is this recognition about how different the world is and how how security has to adapt to the mobile web-based virtual world we all find ourselves into. And I'm just wondering, you know, as you've been working in the, toiling in the vineyard, as they say, what are some barriers to innovation that that you're seeing that we need to keep an eye on?
2: You know, I've always said the biggest, I say this to my people, the biggest barrier to innovation is just fear you know, we've never done it that way. That's, 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 that's not the way we've done it before. You know, we, we don't, everything from, we don't develop it that way, we don't acquire it. So I think we just got to get over, you know, that barrier, the biggest, you know, that being fear is, is what we need to do. But the other side is we've got to completely take a look at how we're doing everything from developing innovation, initially starting, let me back up, how we acquire innovation. You know, I heard Maria early on in the show talking about a lot of the great things that are going on in acquisition. And, you know, I would agree with that. There are a lot of uh, innovative areas that are going on. There's also different ways in terms of acquiring services. Uh, Maria talked a little bit about, you know, Harrison Smith, big fan of what they're doing over at IRS. You know, you start to think about a lot of the other ways that people are acquiring things, you even go to, you know, other transaction authorities that the DOD and other agencies have been using for quite a while is as a way that we can become uh, more innovative or creative in terms of acquiring innovation. Contests, GSA, the work they're doing over there with challenge.gov in, in terms of getting uh, organizations out there, talking to, you know, having them, offer them a challenge and then organizations being able to go out and see the results of this challenge. I think it's also, you know, going back to my comment on cybersecurity, the other thing that we have got to get over is how do we get beyond that approach of not developed here? I think cybersecurity in particular, and and a lot of other areas have the ability to bring in best practices from the commercial side. And how are we able to go out there with commercial entities, which has been done very successfully. You know, the Air Force is doing that. F Works is doing that. DHS is. We got the Silicon Valley in- innovation program that goes on out there. We've got this. Pri- we've got a lot of private part uh, partner private partnerships that are going on out there. Uh, Softworks, you know, being one example. Best known example is probably DoD's Defense Innovation Unit. So, you know, we've. The biggest barrier we've got to get over to sum all this up is we've got to get past the acquisition. we got to get chief acquisition officers talking to CIOs and both of them understanding what they need and being on the same page.
0: You uh, you mentioned acquisition. And earlier in the show, we talked about how the vast majority of the 90 plus billion dollar federal IT budget does end up in the hands of the private sector. As, as a longtime industry leader, I would love to hear some insights from you about what are some acquisition approaches or ideas that you will think will help accelerate, bring more innovation into government.
2: Hit on a few of them there. I think, um, you know, I I think number one is just, you know, continuing to talk to each other, the technologists talking to the acquisition um, folks. But I think, you know, one of the, you know, two of the best things that I've seen are, you know, again, Maria, Maria talked on it earlier. And I was glad to hear her say this. A lot of the small projects you can take um, low risk but can ultimately have high return on in the end. Um, Other ideas are, you know, getting out there, being able to, you know, have pilots, uh, doing pilots, doing R&D, funding projects for R&D, you know, getting things uh, quicker through the acquisition process. Um, You know, so I I can't say that I've seen like a a best practice, but I have to say we're able to take things in bite-sized chunks, get them out there, try it out, Low risk, that seems to be one of the, the best approaches we have, but then again, going to some of the other um, big opportunities, including bl- uh, broad agency announcements of really getting the work out there, uh, the work that needs to be done to the uh, commercial entities are, are certainly ways that we need to uh, continue to innovate on the acquisition side.
0: Yeah, the power of pilots and uh, experiments. You know that get outside of the antibodies of the status quo. It, on our last month's episode, we had Dr. John Cotter on talking about his new book, Change, and that was part of what he was talking about about the the need to be able to break free of the hierarchical model. So it is a subject that I'm very passionate about. And, you know, I will say, as you and I have talked before, some organizations are still far more hampered by how they ask for things than by who they they ask. And so, you know, these uh, these more innovative acquisition approaches are just something we all just need to embrace you know are we embracing uh, alternative approaches do we do we ask for innovation do we reward people for doing alternative proposals do we do statements of objectives rather than rigid statements of work and do we recognize that we live in a world of managed services and the power of letting the team bring the solution to you rather than like trying to define the terms are all important things that we need to do. And we are like going to take a short break in a minute. And then we'll come back. We're going to talk some more with Tim Smith. You're listening to Accelerating Government with Bayak Bayak on the Federal News Network. And I'm Dave Wennergren. Stay tuned for more. listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wendergren, and we're talking with Tim Smith, President of OnPoint Consulting and a member of the Industry Advisory Council's Executive Committee. Tim, you've been such a leader in, in ACT-IAC for a long time now, and, and you are a clear leader of our Institute for Innovation. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the work of the Institute for Innovation, and particularly then build on that about some of the work you're doing around Innovation Roundtable.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm incredibly excited to be uh, to have been a part now for several years the Institute for Innovation, and you know it's important for not only what I what I believe I can give to academia and government, but also what it gives back to me as well as my company on point uh, for, for those that don't know you know the Institute uh, was established to help government apply the most innovative uh, pro- uh, you know uh, practices and technologies exactly what we're talking about here We wanted to uh, you know as a, as an industry group that then has advisors uh, from government, Help us out. We want to really be able to take uh, tools, technologies, best practices from both public as well as uh, the private sectors to help the government solve some of its most challenging problems. And and to build on that, what we're going to be doing with the roundtables. Let me let me back up a little. Uh, for people that may not know, but ACT-IAC during each uh, presidential election cycle um, identifies important issues and recommendations to improve government services and operations. And so with this latest administration, uh, ACT-IAC did put together a capstone document, as well as uh, recommendations and and improvements around three areas, Um, improving customer experience and transformation service delivery, accelerating agility in government and transforming infrastructure and managing risk uh, you've also seen a number of those topics you know as Maria was talking earlier coming up uh, came up within the PMA so the goal then is now that we've uh, submitted these transition papers you know how do we keep the conversation going around those and so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be rolling out the innovation roundtables and our roundtables are going to build on the presidential election project and what we're going to do is focus them instead on just innovation. What are the technologies, tools, best practices that can be put in place around the three areas that I just talked about, you know, agility, mitigating risk and resilience, and does it, delivering customer-centric services. So you'll see the first one roll out here in the March timeframe, still working on an exact date here, but it will be coming. Uh, That one will be focused on increasing agility in government. The next two will come uh, later on in the year, uh, we'll spread them out over the year. And um, the roundtables will be virtual at first, and, but we'll move towards a hybrid event. And, you know, we're going to have, obviously, subject matter experts from both government, industry, university, um, probably even um, commercial come in. Do the roundtable, just share a, a lot of great ideas, and also engage audience participation. But the greatest thing I'm excited about with the roundtables is, you know, to go full circle. The outcome of the roundtable is the most important thing, and the outcomes are going to differ for each roundtable. We obviously don't want to guide them. We're going to have a moderator who's going to help us help us get to our outcomes, but the outcomes can be everything from recommendations, ideas, projects, resources, tools, and we want to take those outcomes as the Institute, and we're going to take those back and we're going to evaluate them to see if we want to turn them into projects that the Institute for Innovation would then put together with our member companies and ultimately deliver to government to help them uh, help them be better in, in, in all the areas that we're addressing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really exciting work, and I'm, I'm delighted to see it progressing so far. You know, you talked a little bit about agility in government as a as an industry leader. Like, talk a little bit more with us, not to not to foreshadow the, the roundtable, but just from your standpoint about the power of being more agile and how agility applies beyond just software development. and clearly has an application to government across the board.
2: You know, it does, it it is, it is right. It is more than just, you know, agile development. I think when, when I think of agility and, and this was somewhat in the, in the papers also, you know, I, I think agility revolves a lot around communication, communication across the board, government, industry within organizations. How do we identify, you know, you know, what is the, what is the particular mission? What are the goals that we have and making sure that everybody is, you know, up to speed on that. That's the first thing we all gotta get on the same page. I think agility is also, um, it's about a culture and it's, it's about the culture that says, you know, we are going to, you know, move in an agile fashion. We are gonna work together. We're gonna break down barriers. We're gonna look at new ways to do things. And it's going to be incumbent upon the leadership in, in whatever department agency project we have, um, you know, to help drive that culture of, of just, you know, we, we've got to think outside the box and look at new ways. And we talked about it earlier, new ways to uh, acquire services, new technology that comes in and not be afraid to implement those. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a huge leadership um, aspect that has to take place from both government and industry to be an agile government.
0: I'm sure that you know you've seen probably better than most that that agility issue has been like front and center for us for the last couple of years as we as we moved into the pandemic and had to radically rapidly shift to a virtual world. As and and, and I know for for Act I, you've given a lot of thought, leadership time and attention to you know how to navigate that virtual moving to hybrid world. What are, what are some lessons learned that you've seen through your experience with the pandemic that you'd like to make sure we don't lose sight of as we go forward?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things I was thinking of earlier today, you know, COVID has taught us a lot, you know, and it, and it even, you know, goes back to process. I mean, even on the simple, and this obviously doesn't apply to me, but using COVID as, COVID as an example, I mean, you think about it, you know, we're getting shots in our arms today. That is not the typical FDA way. The way that they've done it, we've all had to look at new ways. We've all had to be um, more agile. But you know, as we as we go into the COVID, you know, as we're in the COVID world, and, and I'll also make an argument that we were already moving for, towards more of a dispersed workforce even before COVID. COVID just forced us to do what a, a lot of organizations were already moving towards: more more flexible hours, working from home, those types of things. But I think the biggest lesson learned, you know, I've had around it is, um, you know, number one, uh, you know, you've got to have the technology, the environment set up. You know, just at on point. you know, we, we gave people extra money to make sure they had everything they needed, you know, whether it's headsets, whether it's microphones, whether it's a more comfortable chair. I mean, just, just things like that in order to, um, you know, make it to facilitate the work that needs to happen. You know, the second thing is, you know, but it does revolve around, actually, I believe, increasing communication. You don't have the face to face, the office meeting, the people that are able to listen into it. You know, sometimes those things get lost and I'll often think about I'm talking to somebody via, you know, a Microsoft Teams and I'll be like, wow, you know, I I should be talking to three other people about this too. I got to make that effort to get on the phone because they can't just stand in the background as a a use to, uh, you know, on a conference call. But I think the last thing is we've still got to be, you know, respectful that, that I hope that all of our employees have their family lives, have their personal lives too. And it's so easy in the COVID world to get you know, to think that we're all on, and we're all able to work all the time. Well, you know, that's not necessarily true for everybody. A lot of people have families. They've got kids, they got to get up in the morning, send them to school, get them breakfast. They want to have dinner with their families. I think just being respectful and still remembering that just because it is easier for us to communicate sometimes through technology does not mean we always have to be communicating through technology at all times.
0: It is a really double-edged sword that you bring up, right? I mean, that. You know, nobody misses not having the long, hard commute, but, uh, but you do have to be really careful that you still maintain a work-life balance that's healthy for sure. And, and, and just sort of looking at the market, you know, what are maybe some opportunities for innovation in the year ahead that, that you, you think would be great for or agencies to focus on?
2: I think you've got to go back to what we're seeing out of the administration and, you know, it was talked about earlier, you know, what is in the PMA, you know, in terms of uh, workforce development, uh, CX and b- build back better, you know, the infrastructure component. You know, I think these are, you know. Uh, While while the PMA and even the following executive orders are, are often not tied to funding, they're still given a direction of where does the administration, where does government want us, you know, speaking from the contractor side to focus on. So I think... You know those three areas, and and I'm more focused on the CX side, uh, CX user experience, but you know also following on the on the word secure because we do to a lot of cybersecurity. So I think where you know we're going to be able to look at how are we able to deliver secure federal services along with a great customer experience to to the um, you know uh, United States public is going to be a great area for uh, people to be focused on
0: yeah absolutely so um so we only have about 30 seconds left but you've been so gracious with your time mentoring people along the way do you have some parting leadership advice for the audience you'd like to leave you know
2: i think i think from a, a you know a contract perspective i say this to our you know my people all the time you know take a look every day are we having a positive impact on the mission What are we doing to make them better? Government, you know, gave us the opportunity by awarding us a contract. But what are we doing, you know, to to make the mission better, to add to their mission, to be more innovative, to cut costs, to cut time, those types of things. I think, you know, that's what I tell my people all the time. Just make sure you're a part of impacting the mission.
0: We've talked about a lot of important topics today. You can learn more about all those topics if you go to the Federal News Network website. Or to www.actiac.org. Tim Smith is the president of OnPoint Consulting. Tim, thank you so much for your leadership and thank you for taking the time to join us today.
2: Thank you, Dave, and thank you for everything that Actiac does, both for uh, industry and government.
0: We, uh, we covered a lot of ground today about both the PMA and the innovation agenda and how both can help accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership and education. I'm Dave Wintergreen. You've been listening to Accelerating Government brought to you by act on Federal News Network. I hope to have you back for the next episode. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with act You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes. Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you Contractor Better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today.
1: Visit go.abb/contractorbetter.